Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sea Report. We're coming to you live on this Monday, November 29th, 2021. I'm your host, Mr. C, and it's great to be with you guys this afternoon. We got a good old report ahead for you guys today and uh, much news and much ado about stuff that's going out there and uh, good stuff to talk about for sure. Got a couple of Trump statements to share with you guys uh, to kind of uh, pepper and salt today's report. And then, of course, uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of the uh, criminal court proceedings that are uh, taking place on this Monday uh, at the end of November, the end of the year 2021. We see that uh, justice is trying to serve itself at least to as many people and as many things as it can. Uh, before we let this year go, we'll see how successful justice is at serving such things. Uh, but until then, ladies and gentlemen, well, we've got those stories in mind for you guys. Of course, uh, as you all know, uh, the uh, Ghislaine Maxwell case is uh, kicking up over there in the Southern District of New York. Southern District of New York is not quite the place where you would imagine justice being served. Uh, but, uh, you know, we've kind of already looked at a little bit of those details here and there when we're talking about uh, who the prosecutorial team is, as well as uh, who the judges are, or the judge, I should say. Uh, but we won't dip into that too much, guys. They are just doing jury selection here today. And uh, so there's not a whole lot on that front. And of course, as some of you all may be aware, um, in the Southern District of New York, they do not allow any type of live video recording or audio recording. So uh, for any of you guys hoping to uh, get a hold of some of that information, uh, you know, by the minute, like as if though we were watching court TV, it ain't going to happen for the Ghislaine Maxwell case. Uh, it doesn't even seem like it's going to happen for the Jussie Smoulier case, or as I like to say, justice for Juicy Juicy Smoulier. We'll get into that a little bit uh, today. Actually, we will be talking about the Juicy Smoulier case uh, this afternoon. Uh, it's actually uh, a fun case to talk about, in my opinion, as how ridiculous it is uh, that this guy has not already been uh, convicted. But you know what they say, justice is not only slow, she's supposedly blind, unless you're in the Southern District of New York, of course. Uh, and uh, we'll see how that goes, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, we're really going to take a gander into Juicy Smoulier's case. And then, uh, you know, we'll we'll give you guys some answers to the reasons why I prefer to Jesse Smollett as Juicy Smoulier. For those of you who know, you know. Okay, and we'll look at that. Uh, and in lieu of the Ghislaine Maxwell case, since after all, uh, you know, jury selection started today, all right, uh, or actually was completed today, if I'm not mistaken. I got the notes somewhere here at the end 
of today's show. I'll update you guys with that. We are going to look at a case of another human sex trafficking uh, a ne'er-do-well, someone who is um, uh, up there in the uh, upper echelon of uh, fashion, celebrity, and industry. And of course, if you guys don't know who I'm referring to, I'm talking about one Peter Nygaard, uh, the uh, former Canadian fashionista uh, and fashion designer turned inmate uh, when he was arrested last December under charges of racketeering fraud and human trafficking. We're going to look at that because his case is actually also happening right now in the midst of Juicy Smoulier and Ghislaine Maxwell and all of the other distractions that are going on out there. But again, guys, like I said, if you're looking to get any information on Ghislaine Maxwell, well, you'd have to be a fly on the wall in that courtroom or you'd have to be one of those present to really get all the details because the Southern District of New York is not allowing video recording and or any type of audio documentary to occur during that trial. So I would say uh, keep your uh, eyes open and your ears to the ground or, uh, you know, check out any of your favorite um, uh, content creators out there on the independent streams because they will most likely be able to give you the skinny on what's going on there. And uh, we'll most definitely share the news with you guys uh, as it becomes available in regards to those trial proceedings. Because the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, the uh, Epstein by proxy trial, is perhaps the most important trial this side of the millennia. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe the Nygaard trial is uh, another one that's right behind that. The Juicy Smoulier trial is not that important, but it could be seen as such if justice prevails and they actually uh, put that uh, bad actor, uh, no pun intended, behind bars uh, for uh, trying to get his uh, trying to get his rocks off and uh, framing. Framing, I mean, he he's framing a race, basically Caucasians, right? With this uh, this uh, publicity stunt that he pulled off um, uh, on behalf of, dare I say, Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. Yeah, we're gonna take a look at that too, guys, because I'm sure you guys remember it. But just in case those details are not as uh, as available as they used to be, well, we got them for you here today on the C Report. So thank you all for joining us again. We're coming to you live across uh, several platforms this afternoon, uh, including Twitch, DLive, Trovo, uh, ScrewTube, uh, the Foxhole.app, and also Pill.net and CloudHub, before I forget. Uh, thank you all for joining us. If you're out there on CloudHub, t- uh, Twitch, ScrewTube, hello, hello, hello. And as always, to the community of patriots over at the foxhole.app and pill.net, good afternoon. Uh, before we get started real quick, don't forget, you can always check us out over at thecreport.com. And uh, I find that uh, more and more we're actually starting to be able to upload or share uh, you know, our most recent broadcasts here at the Sea Report. Uh, we have a, um, I think an episodes page over there where you can check it out. And then also um, check us out at our podcast. That's the podcast version of this show, anchor.fm slash the C report for anyone who would like to catch the audible version um, of uh, the C report. Perhaps, uh, you know, you want to take me on a jog or, uh, you know, want to want to listen to this uh, raspy, scratchy voice 
as you're laying in bed about to go to sleep and get that news subconsciously through osmosis, well, you can always count on the Sea Report podcast. Um, look for us on your favorite podcast player, subscribe for free, and uh, you will always get uh, up-to-the-date reports from uh, the likes of myself and any other of the broadcasts that we do over here at Mr. C TV and the Mr. C channel. Uh, particularly good for those replays, if you don't get to catch us live, uh, you can always catch the replays on the podcast uh, to my friends over at pill.net and also at the foxhole.app. I apologize. Replays are currently not working over at that uh, platform, but uh, I'm sure, God willing, they will be soon. All right, guys, let's go ahead and jump into today's report. Uh, let me just say hello real quick, too, uh, as a, a formality I like to do uh, over here at the Sea Report. To those in the chat hanging out over at Pilled and Foxhole, Empress Beach Tubes, good to see you this afternoon. Had some problems getting in here today. Sorry to hear that, Empress. And uh, I see your, uh, I see your, um, your graphic image there for your avatar is broken just like mine. Well, you know, we might get broken sometimes, but we get fixed. Xena, good afternoon. It's good to see you as well. Java is in the house. Good to see you, Java. Maxwell trial day one, Southern bitches of New York, more like it. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you get what you hire, right? And then we also have uh, Persnick in the house. Good evening, good afternoon, I should say. Persnick, thanks for joining us here on today's broadcast. All right, guys, let's go ahead and jump into today's uh, report. Like I said, we do have a few uh, President Trump statements that we like to lead. President Trump tends to lead here at the Sea Report um, just as it goes. And uh, that's the tried and true tradition um, until further ado, at least. Right. And uh, let's see what we have today, friends. Uh, first statement coming from November 26th is a nice and short one. Kind of sums up, I think, how we all feel. Uh, says, I view the story being concocted by the unselect committee about the so-called insurrection of January 6th, actually November 3rd, the same way as the Democrats' Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, now fully debunked and discredited. Indeed. Uh, better words were never said. And, you know, the thing I think I would like to focus on from this statement in particular, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, when we have the mainstream, lamestream, fake news, legacy media running around with our, uh, you know, heads like a chicken with its head cut off, right? Basically without their heads, right? Or they have their heads somewhere, okay? <laughs> they have their heads stuffed up somewhere, you know, and they keep on referring to the January 6th false flag riots as the insurrection, the insurrection. Uh, they keep referring to um, uh, Trump's reference for November 3 as the big lie, the big lie. And isn't it funny how if you swap those two narratives around, uh, it is exactly what it is, but opposite in the truth. You know, November 3rd literally was the insurrection of these United States of America. And it was successfully pulled off in uh, what illegitimate Joe um, Joe Biden, creepy Joe Biden, uh, when he said, of course, you know, in regards to election integrity and election fraud, that uh, they had assembled the largest group of election, you know, the largest, most diverse group of election fraudsters ever put together. His words, not mine. That was his Freudian slip. That was that was the flip of the truth that illegitimate Joe said. He has a tendency to admit things. I think he's like thinking perhaps he's going to be cool and sneaky Illuminati style, right? And he's going to slip the truth in there, 
without them knowing. And then he doesn't realize that his statements are a whole lot more obvious uh, than what uh, he expected to come out of his mouth. Um, I would feel sorry for the fool if he were not trying to destroy our country any more than he already has, but he is. So I don't really feel bad for the man. May justice be served is all I can think about whenever I think about people like illegitimate Joe. I don't care how long it takes. It just needs to be served before he's six feet under. Uh, and he needs to be made an example of so that this way uh, people will not think they can get away with such things in this world, in this plane, in this country, in this universe, in this galaxy. But uh, I, I think, you know, as far as November 3rd goes, uh, the, uh, the election fraud of 2020, uh, it would serve a, a better purpose to refer to that as the actual insurrection that occurred. And then, of course, well, January 6th false flag riot would be the big lie because that was not an insurrection by any means, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, why did why did why did people gather in mass? 1.7 million or more people. Why did they gather in mass on January 6th at the Capitol in Washington D.C.? They gathered in mass because they were upset about the insurrection that took place on November 3. And uh, I think that is a point that eludes some, but we're all savvy to it for the most part, and we get it. Okay, we get it. So, um, you know, I think it would do well for us to refer to it in that way uh, moving forward. But, uh, you know, we will as we will, as they say. Uh, next statement from President Trump. Let's see what we got going on here. All right. This is another November 26th statement coming from President Trump. I actually really like this one. I smiled quite broadly when I saw or read it. Uh, great news for Arizona. Senator Paul Boyer, a rhino obstructionist, is done. Congratulations to Karen Fan and all of the other Republican patriots who have worked so hard to reveal the presidential election fraud of November 3rd. Ah, uh, yeah. So Paul Boyer, there's the man right there. Uh, we've talked uh, we've talked a little bit about Paul Boyer. We haven't actually featured his ugly mug on our show since probably midsummer, uh, end of summer, midsummer, where it was really coming out that uh, Paul Boyer, this rhino, Republican in name only, who is an Arizona state representative, um, was actually or senator. I apologize. Was actually working against the uh, the um, Arizona Senate GOP as they were trying to get uh, uh, indictments against the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. He actually opposed them on a lot of those measures. He was also a stickler against Karen Fan and the Senate when they originally wanted to start getting the proceedings for the Maricopa County Forensic Audit underway back in like January, December, December 2020, January 2021, leading all the way up into when they actually were able to proceed with it in uh, about mid to late April of this year. So Paul Boyer has been known as a big rhino, that is for sure. 
Um, interesting to see how uh, the art, uh, the news outlets out there, how they uh, challenged the truth about what was going on with Boyer as a rhino. Uh, I got some examples of that for you guys right here. Oh, well, uh, let me say first, in regards to President Trump's statement and why this is success. Now, this guy was not one of the uh, Republican 10, the band of brothers. You know, we're down to what, seven now, I think. Is it seven or is it eight? Uh, let me see. Uh, Anthony, uh, let's see. Gonzalez is out and uh, one other guy's out. But uh, let's see here. Paul Boyer, uh, state representative only. Uh, official, state official only, uh, but he is now going to be retiring from uh, Arizona politics. So that's what the statement is in reference from President Trump. There's where we get our win uh, because of everything that he has done. Um, he has chosen or opted not to run for state Senate again. So there's your win. Now let's talk about um, how the media portrays this, okay? Uh, because again, you know, especially in Arizona, we, we see more of a leftist or more of a propagandized type of media as we've come to learn that a lot of the supposed news outlets over in Arizona are actually um, funded by leftist organizations and nonprofit organizations uh, where a lot of this dark money or black money, not to sound racist, comes into, um, into the coffers, into the fundings of all of these supposed types of news organizations. Well, this, this article in particular does come from the Associated Press. Um, but uh, we'll get to we'll get to the uh, propaganda one next. Um, let's take a look at what this says about Boyer, just to give you guys a quick overlook at uh, what this man is responsible and some of the skirmishes that he got into in his time in office. Rogue GOP state senator Paul Boyer to forego re-election bid. A Republican state senator who has occasionally been a thorn in the side of the majority of the legislation legislative agenda will not seek re-election in 2022. Uh, it says down here, and I'm going to go ahead and expand it because I like to make sure this is nice and uh, legible for all of the viewers out there. Uh, a Republican state senator who has occasionally been a thorn in the side of the majority's party's legislative agenda will not seek re-election in 2022. State Senator Paul Boyer said this week that he will serve out the remaining year of his term and then move on to other pursuits. The Glendale lawmaker said opponents in his own party will need to put up with him for his remaining year in office. However, meaning he'll retain the ability to thwart some key initiatives, the slim one vote GOP majority failed to get past him in this year's legislative session. Uh, one of Boyer's top moves was blocking Republican Senate Karen, uh, President Karen Fan's effort to hold the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors in contempt. Fan wanted to board, uh, wanted the board to immediately hand over the ballots from the 2020 election under a subpoena, so she could conduct an unprecedented partisan review of President Joe Biden's victory. You notice how they say here, partisan review. So Associated Press is uh, showing their colors, as it were, when we're talking about um, uh, where they stand. You know, they're not as uh, they're not as coy as Newsmask is about this issue. Um, and they don't, uh, they, they don't, they, they really don't uh, mince their words here. So uh, partisan review, um, but members balked saying they could not legally hand over 2.1 million voted ballots. When of course we all know this goes back to the state Senate to do investigations. So absolutely they were within their jurisdiction to request those ballots. 
Anyhow, it says here, Boyer's refusal to back Trump supporters as they sought the recount brought Boyer a slew of threats, and he briefly moved his family out of fear of violence in February. That toxic atmosphere, both inside and outside the Capitol, is one of the reasons Boyer decided to leave the legislature after serving a decade. So you see here, the, the media really kind of paints him as more of like a victim and or a hero and or a true American, right? Boyer's a true American because he did not want to go through with uh, this entire uh, unprecedented and partisan election review. Um, let's see here. It says Boyer's decision was previously reported by the Arizona Agenda Political Newsletter and the Arizona Republic. He said in an interview Wednesday that he considered not seeking re-election last year, but went ahead knowing he would not run again in 2022. And he said he's glad he did seek re-election last year, if only because he was able to vote against the contempt resolution. Check this out. Boyer says, God knows what would have happened if we jailed the Board of Supervisors for following the law. How backwards and twisted can this guy be, right? That uh, clear law was broken. Uh, we had clear violations uh, that were witnessed on, on video camera with uh, timestamps and dates and, you know, even, even, even acknowledgement of who the perpetrators were, okay? And Boyer, now he said this on Wednesday. This was uh, published, I believe, on the 24th. Well, well over a month since all of this information was handed over to uh, Arizona State Attorney uh, Attorney General Bernovich, Mark Bernovich, where they have all of this documented evidence of election fraud and crimes, federal crimes. Okay, and Boyer still insists that they were following the law there in Maricopa County and that the Board of Supervisors were somehow innocent. I don't understand, you know, like, uh, so it really, really, I do understand. It shows his true colors. It shows who he really is. It shows where he really stands. What it doesn't show is who's paying him off. Who's, uh, whose circles is he in? You know, who, who is he hanging out with that has influenced this man who is probably more of a Democrat or a communist sympathizer in Republican and conservative clothing, okay? Maybe he thinks he's middle of the aisle. Maybe he thinks he's center-right. But this man is nothing but that. He's not that at all, okay? This man is not that. So it's a good thing he's gone. And uh, the article just goes on to uh, talk about him crying about how toxic it's been at the Capitol in Arizona and how uh, it's it's gotten on a more personal basis. And there's uh, people who are attacking him and stuff like that. Uh, it's because people are done fed up. OK, they're done and they are fed up with uh, any any type of, uh, of um, un-American shenanigans, uh, not to be euphemistic, uh, but um uh, we're done, guys. We're done. So yeah, he was facing a lot of those attacks, uh, rightfully so, I say. And also, I'm I'm pretty sure the members of the Arizona public and and abroad, I'm sure other Americans gave him a piece of his their minds too, and did not hold back when it came to uh, Boyer and their distaste and dissatisfaction with his service to the people, which ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, is not service at all. Uh, okay, so here's the propaganda piece. I, oh, come on. Hold on. Yeah, uh, clearly they want me to talk about Ghislaine, right? Okay, we ain't talking about Ghislaine. Ain't enough about her out there yet. Okay, 
So, uh, all right. We'll mention her at the end of the broadcast, guys. Okay. Um, okay, so this is the propaganda piece. Okay. Now, uh, it was published here in Yahoo News, but it's actually from AZ Central. Okay. Now, AZ Central, Arizona Central, the Arizona Republic. These are one of those news media outlets. They're touted as one of the most respected outlets in the state of Arizona. Okay. But these guys are way left. They, they have always denigrated anything that the uh, GOP Senate in Arizona has tried to do in an attempt to bring election integrity, an attempt to right the wrongs, or just answer the question. Was the 2020 general election in fact held fairly and appropriately or was there fraud? Okay, just to ask the question, just for clarification, just to put uh, some type of uh, to put some type of um, integrity monitor onto the entire issue of elections in their state. The Arizona Central, the Arizona Republic, fought them tooth and nail. Okay, real quick on their propaganda piece with uh, Paul Boyer, you'll see real quick exactly how biased this news organization is. Uh, they spare no bias, ladies and gentlemen. Um, what Senator Paul Boyer's exodus about uh, says about Republicans and voters in 2022 says here, and I can expand that a little bit so we can get some of these commercials out of the way. Senator Paul Boyer is calling it quits. It's a disturbing reminder of how ugly Arizona politics have become and a glimpse that the worst is perhaps yet to come. Boyer's decision against seeking re-election next year wasn't entirely a surprise to anyone paying attention, but it still elicited lamentations amid the state's political turmoil. Boyer, sa- uh, Boyer was the only Republican in the state Senate who stood up to the shenanigans of his colleagues who wanted to jail Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. Boyer told the journalists that his heart isn't in it any longer. He feels, uh, and that the legislature feels more toxic than it has ever felt. Um, that's an understatement, of course, is what they say, where even the presumption of being good or sensible conservative isn't good enough for the MAGA crowd now controlling the Arizona Republican Party. Boyer had the audacity to step out of line. The leaders unleashing the MAGA mob against Boyer included none other than Senate President Karen Fan, the Prescott Republican who also led the bogus, bogus, bogus election audit, uh, she had already thrown her support behind former state representative Anthony Kern to represent the Northwest Valley district that includes parts of Glendale. Uh, just this month, Van had hosted a fundraiser for Kern, who uh, by media accounts joined the insurrectionists at the United States Capitol on January 6th to overturn the election results and keep Donald Trump in the White House. So yeah, so, so this is how they continue to spill their propaganda out there in Arizona. This is the news that everyone gets, Okay. The insurrection didn't work. Fanning the flames of the Stop the Steal movement to sow distrust in elections and go after anyone who doesn't fall in line. So uh, that's just a little sample of what you got, uh, you know, what you're looking at. Now, some of these uh, news articles, the, some of these news venues, they're not as uh, obvious when it comes to where they stand politically. Uh, they, don't, they, they don't taint their news reporting, so to speak, as much as others, or at least as much as an outfit like Arizona Central does, they do a terrible job of hiding their bias. And uh, that's just a small example of it. Um, there's just one other point about Paul Boyer that I like to share just because it's uh, guilt by association kind of thing. I know, I know, guilt and until proven. 
uh, wait, <laughs> Gilton, innocent until proven guilty. Gosh, man, you're probably wondering what country I'm from, right? Uh, they they post this picture, these pictures quite frequently online uh, when they like to uh, they like to do that kind of uh, you know. Uh, was it one degree from separation? One degree of separation, or what is it? The Kevin Bacon thing. Uh, this is the picture of Paul Boyer here again. This is the uh, this is the uh, Rhino Senator, right? Right here. Ugh, you know, I just yeah, I'm trying to be nice. There's so many things I could say about what I see in these photos, uh, but um, uh, this is a picture uh, caption: Paul Boyer, the anti-Trump Arizona State Senator responsible for blocking a contempt resolution against Maricopa County has been repeatedly pictured together with alleged child predator and former Democrat state Senator Tony Navaretti. I mean, some of you guys probably remember the story about Tony Navaretti. He had to step down. Uh, I mean, it says alleged, okay, in the caption, but uh, here on the C report, we read the text of the, uh, the, the phone call where Neveretti uh, was um, apologizing to one of his victims. I'm sorry, Miho, okay, he said in the phone call that was being wiretapped by police officers for the confession. So yeah, he, it says alleged, uh, but this man is uh, has been caught on tape. Uh, that is the guy that uh, Paul Boyer is uh, arm in arm with here in these photos. So I don't know, These that, that's the kind of company that Paul Boyer likes to keep. He likes to hang out with the Democrats. And uh, we'll leave it there at Democrats. He likes to hang out with the Democrats, right? We won't, we won't, we won't push it any harder than that, okay? But there's Paul Boyer for you guys in a nutshell, and he's out. He'll no longer be a thorn in the side of uh, you know uh, patriotic uh, officials <laughs> in Arizona who are trying to do the right thing by their constituents and ensure that justice is served. And that's all there is to that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, here's our final statement from President Trump for this afternoon. Uh, real quick, uh, I'd like to th uh, thank 123SKG. Uh, Good evening, 123SKG. Uh, How are you doing? Thank you for gifting the shades over at um, pill.net, the foxhole.app, rail and on. Good afternoon, and thank you as well for donating your gold pills, 117. Woohoo! Good number there. And uh, yeah, we got uh, a Liz Cheney club member, indeed, 123SKG. I would not doubt right and uh java associated shills yeah it's a good term indeed for those individuals all right let's take a look at this statement from uh president trump this one comes from november 28th ladies and gentlemen and uh it goes like this the fake news media cannot stand the fact that so many people in our country know the truth that the 2020 election was rigged and stolen, yet almost every article written contains the words, the big lie, or unsubstantiated facts, etc., always trying to demean the real results. I am willing to challenge the heads of the various papers or even far-left politicians who have perpetuated the real big lie, which is voter irregularities and fraud on a massive and determinative scale. This includes members of the highly partisan unselect committee of Democrats who refused to delve into what caused the January 6th protest. It was the fake election results. While I am willing to do it, they will never agree because they cannot argue the facts that in states including Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Georgia, 
Arizona, Nevada, New Hampshire, and other states such as New Mexico, where the Democrat Secretary of State, uh, her name being Maggie Toulouse, uh, changed the voting laws without legislative approval just prior to the election, making it virtually impossible for the Republican presidential candidate to win. If anyone would like a public debate on the facts, not the fiction, please let me know. It will be a rating bonanza for television. Oh, so we have President Trump issuing the challenge here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, to anyone who would be willing to debate him. Of course, I'm sure it couldn't be anyone, but anyone, but anyone, far-left politician or media uh, representative who wants to debate him on the facts. Now, you know, uh, news agencies, fake news, lamestream, fake news, legacy media, uh, I'm sure a lot of them are hard up enough to get uh, this type of a debate going, but of course, they don't have the cojones for it. Uh, because they know they'd be trampled all over. And I think, uh, in part, it is because of the independents out there. It is because of uh, independent um, um, news uh, outlets, news agencies, uh, whether they're in print or they are, you know, shows uh, and broadcasts. It's because of them continuing to um, release and share that information about what actually happened in the 2020 presidential election from various states in various cities and various counties um, and and continuing to move and push and share that information that yes, the fake news media cannot cannot deny the fact that uh, the cat is out of the bag, ladies and gentlemen. It's something that probably won't get back in anytime soon. And uh, it, that is proving to be a thorn in their side more so than anything. Um, I mean, he lists here Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada. We know those were the most contested states, of course, going all the way back to uh, November 3rd and uh, what transpired. Uh, New Hampshire and New Mexico, guys, also. Uh, New Hampshire, we, we did see a, uh, a supposed forensic audit there. Uh, over in the township of Wyndham, okay, and we all saw how that was fixed by uh, UN representative extraordinaire, uh, one Hari Hursty, who attempted to interject himself into the California recall race, and I think he was doing that preemptively in case Gavin Newsom lost, uh, but anyways, guys, uh, the New Mexico one is also interesting enough um, when we're talking about the uh, Secretary of State over there. Now, we did a dig into the Secretaries of State uh, on um, the Sea Report live digs. Uh, we're getting the second episode ready to air soon um, with some more information. And in fact, uh, the New Mexico Secretary of State plays a big part in that uh, news dump that we're looking to release uh, hopefully this week. And some of the other organizations that they're involved in when we were talking about how George Soros had the Secretary of State project, you know, back in the early, uh, in the mid 2000s, early 2010s, you know, and then all of a sudden the organization disappeared. But what emerged in its place? It was none other than the National Association of Secretaries of State. And that we see is where the Secretary of State for New Mexico is the president of that organization and she is also 
one of the secretaries of state who came under the wing of George Soros just prior to that in the Secretary of State project. So again, we'll get that going sometime this week, guys, so we can uh, catch up with our secretaries of state and hopefully we'll have a few more treats in store for you guys in that regard. All right, guys, so that's it for the President Trump statements for today's C-Report. Let's jump into a bit of the news. Of course, the biggest news headline, and this might be intentional, guys. Now, I had to sit and think about it. You know, uh, you know, first thing that crosses a mind like mine is uh, who's resigning, who who's uh, stepping down as a CEO and why. And, you know, you, you know, you tend to get like a little excited over thinking about something like that. I know probably a lot of people out there were like, yeah, but uh when I really took a step back and I thought about uh, Mr. Jack Dorsey resigning as the uh, CEO of Twitter, I really thought, well, you know, a day like the day of Ghislaine Maxwell's trial (laughs) is actually a pretty convenient day for him to step down. Wouldn't you think? (laughs) I mean, that kind of, yeah, that's pretty convenient. This will definitely steal away the Ghislaine Maxwell headlines, especially from the tech world and all that type of stuff. Uh, because there's going to be, uh, or, you know, just from your good old, your good old mainstream, mainstream fake news, legacy media outlets, like, you know, the Communist News Network, MSDNC, even Fox News, faux news, maybe even Newsmask. I- I'd be interested to see if Newsmask is actually even an attempt to cover anything Ghislaine Maxwell. I don't think that they will, but I could be wrong. Maybe I'll go and uh, peruse the good old news mask and see if they're talking about Ghislaine at all. Uh, but but this should this should keep the headlines at least for a day, right? At least for the evening news cycle. We can talk about uh, Jack Dorsey and Twitter instead of Ghislaine Maxwell. Uh, let's go ahead and just read his resignation letter. You know, so you don't got to take my word for it, right? Here it is right here. Uh, this is what Jack Dorsey released to his Twitter team earlier this, actually this morning. It said, uh, let me see here. Here we go. After, uh, I'm going to have to do it this way because I want to make sure you guys can see all of it and nothing gets uh, cut off. Okay, there we go. After almost 16 years of having a role at our company, from co-founder to CEO to chair to executive chair to interim CEO to CEO, I've decided it's finally time for me to leave. Why? Because Ghislaine Maxwell's trial is on and we've got to distract America. There's a lot of talk about the importance of a company being founder-led. Ultimately, I believe that's severely limiting and a single point of failure. I've worked hard to ensure this company can break away from its founding and founders. There are three reasons I believe now is the right time. The first is Parag becoming our CEO. The board ran a rigorous process considering all options and unanimously appointed Parag. He's been my choice for some time, given how deeply he understands the company and its needs. Parag has been behind every critical decision that helped turn his com- this company around. He's curious, probing, rational, creative, demanding, self-aware, and humble. He leads with heart and soul and is someone I learn from daily. My trust in him as our CEO is bone deep. The second is Brett Taylor, agreeing to become our board chair. I asked Brett to join our board when I became CEO, and he's been excellent in every way. He understands entrepreneurship, taking risks, companies at massive scale, technology, product, and uh, he's an engineer. All of the things the board and the company deserve right now. Having Brett in this leadership role gives me a lot of confidence in the strength of our board going forward. You have no idea how happy it makes me. Okay, so 
these are the reasons why he believes it's time for him to leave because Parag is there and Brett is there. I mean, were Parag and Brett not there the whole time, Mr. Dorsey? Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what a, that's funny. Okay. Uh, it says here, third is all of you. We have a lot of ambition and potential on this team. Consider Parag started here as an engineer who cared deeply about our work. And now he's our CEO. I also had a similar path. He did it better. This alone makes me proud. I know that Parag will be able to channel this energy best because he's lived it and knows what it takes. All of you have the potential to change the course of this company for the better. I believe this with all my heart. Parag is CEO starting today. I'm going to serve on the board through my term, which is Mayish, to help Parag and Brett with the transition. And after that, I'll leave the board. Why not stay or become chair? I believe it's really important to give Parag the space he needs to lead. And back to my previous point, I believe it's critical a company can stand on its own, free of its founders' influence or direction. I want you all to know that this was my decision and I own it. It was tough one for me, of course. I love this service and company and all of you so much. I'm really sad yet really happy. There aren't many companies to, that get to this level and there aren't many founders that choose their company over their own ego. I know we'll keep, uh, we'll prove this was the right move. We'll have an all hands meeting tomorrow at 9.05 to discuss it all. Until then, thank you for all the trust you placed in me and for the openness to build that trust in Parag and yourselves. I love you all. P.S. I'm tweeting this email. My one wish is for Twitter Incorporated to be the most transparent company in the world. Hi, mom. Okay, Mr. Dorsey. Okay. Well, you know, may justice be served, ladies and gentlemen. Again, I'll just say it, you know, point blank, may justice be served. May this actually turn out to be more of a, uh, I don't know, a Perkins Coy, um, Elias, uh, what was that guy's name again? Mark Elias move here, right? Just as the hammer's coming down, we see the separation of the CEO that would uh, besmirch and mar the company, kind of like how we're seeing uh, Facebook turn into meta or whatever the heck it is that they're wanting to do. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's about all we have to say about this, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Twitter's probably not going to become a, a sudden, suddenly become a First Amendment free speech loving and uh, protecting um, uh, social network. Uh, Breitbart did share this fact. This isn't the first time that Dorsey has faced losing his role as CEO. Uh, last year, Twitter stakeholder Elliot Management sought to replace him after the firm's founder and billionaire investor Paul Singer questioned Dorsey's ability to both uh, to run both Square and Twitter. I mean, he's been removed as CEO before, guys. Uh, so he could be back. This could just be one of those interim things, you know that happens. Uh, but indeed, ladies and gentlemen, we will see what that's all about. Uh, just a real quick, good afternoon, CDP4JC. Good to see you in the audience as well as Tombstone. And uh, well, you know, uh, I'm as well as can be expected. Thank you for the well wishes, my friend. And yeah, uh, Jack Dorsey Java, he does look like a cult leader, doesn't he? But anyways, all right, guys, we got the crybaby on the screen now. <laughs> so let's talk a little juicy smoulier, ladies and gentlemen. 
Okay, so yes, yes, isn't it funny how we're talking about all these distractions about Ghislaine Maxwell, and yet we are still not talking about Ghislaine Maxwell? Well, I mean, come on. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, her trial will probably last a lot longer than Juicy Smoulier's. Juicy Smoulier's trial is set to be uh, to last about a week, okay? So we'll see how this goes, but what we wanted to do today is to really jump into some of the uh, details that we might have forgotten about the entire Juicy Smollier uh, controversy, okay? Jussie Smollett, yes, yes, yes. I say Juicy Smollier, you say Juicy Jussie Smollett, whatever, okay? He will always be Juicy Smollier in my book, okay? Now, um, uh, real quick, uh, recap, USA Today. Uh, now, Juicy Smollier was charged with felony disorderly conduct after law enforcement and prosecutors said he lied to police about what happened in the early morning hours of January 29th, 2019 in downtown Chicago. <laughs> now, all of these details are important, guys. Okay. All of these details are important. Early morning hours, January 29th, downtown Chicago. Now, I've never been to Chicago or Illinois, but I don't even want to know what the weather is like in the early morning hours of late January. Okay, so moving right along from that point, <clears throat> he's pleaded not guilty. Jury selection started today. Okay, um, and uh, disorderly conduct, a class four felony carries a sentence of up to three years in prison, but experts have said it is more likely that Smoulier is, con if, is convicted, would be placed on probation and perhaps ordered to perform community service. Smoulier told police he was walking home from a Subway sandwich shop at 2 a.m., <laughs> I cannot help but laugh. Okay, he was walking home from a Subway sandwich shop at 2 a.m. when two men, he said, recognized him from his TV show, Empire. Okay, now a lot of people hadn't even heard about Empire until the Juicy Smoulier case. Uh, I mean, I had heard about it, but that doesn't mean nothing. Okay, I, it's just because uh, they always play the stupid commercials on uh on you know whenever i was like streaming stuff <clears throat> now it, it says uh uh two men he said recognized him from the tv show empire began hurling racial and homophobic slurs at him he said the men struck him okay now keep in mind this uh interview where smoulier is crying uh where we got this photo from happened relatively quickly after this alleged attack right within days yeah he don't look roughed up or beat up to me uh but apparently he still has ptsd because he's crying okay and it says here uh he said the men struck him looped a makeshift noose around his neck and shouted this is maga country i don't know when chicago became maga country okay let alone the state of illinois uh, this is like Obama land, isn't it? Like, this is Obozoville, like, uh, <laughs> Illinois, Chicago. Correct me if I'm wrong, okay? <laughs> I don't know when this became MAGA country, okay? <laughs> Maybe he thought he was out in the rural area somewhere, but this is MAGA country, a reference to then-President Donald Trump's campaign slogan, Make America Great Again. Former Empire actor Juicy Smoulier Center uh, oh, wait, wait, that was from a photo. Okay, reaction to his reported assault underscored increasingly polarized political landscape. 
Democrat politicians and others called it a shocking example of Trump-era bigotry and hate, while other Republicans accused liberals of rushing to paint the president's supporters as racist. Just weeks later came the stunning announcement that Smoulier was charged with staging the attack to further his career and secure a higher salary. And police said he hired two brothers from Nigeria to pretend to attack him for $3,500. Okay, so those are the details of uh, the case that catches us up to what's going on. Uh, now, what that um, review does fail to mention is that he was late. The charges were later were dropped. Okay, before he was uh, before he was charged again. Okay. He was charged again, but that was by uh, that was by uh, Kim Fox, um, who was also a prosecutor on uh, the case for him. So we'll talk about Kim Fox in just a minute. And it's interesting how all of these people are connected. Uh, let's take a look real quick. What I want to do. Actually, I was going to we're going to do this one now. Um, we're going to look at. We're going to look at how the media reacted to the Juicy Smollett case, okay? Just so we can see how they run away with the supposed, you know, hate crimes and, and all of this other stuff. Uh, Tombstone in the uh, chat room says uh, Obama may have coached him. Yeah, you might be right about that, Tombstone, and we have photographic evidence to that effect that we're going to share with you guys. Uh, let's go ahead and get this uh, going real quick. I just want to show you guys real quick how the media responded to it. Now, now these the, these people were talking about this and they were touting this as a hate crime. And, you know, it was all, you know, the, the MAGA people uh, for, for weeks after, even after it came out that he might have staged this incident, they were still going on about how it was a hate crime and how it was, uh, it was, um, it was against blacks and it was homophobic and it was all because of those rascally racist neo-nazi maga people okay so uh let me see we'll get this going real quick for you guys so you can check it out it's a real brief video watch the media once again fall for a fake hate crime let's roll ladies and gentlemen with a noose around his neck and hospitalized. Empire star Jesse Smollett was the victim of a vicious, racist, and homophobic attack. His attackers hurled racial and homophobic slurs. Two people yelled racist and homophobic slurs. Racial and homophobic slurs. The offenders uttered, this is MAGA country. The hate crime went down early this morning in Chicago. Officials are investigating the alleged assault as a hate crime. And now police say they're investigating this as a possible hate crime. This is... This is stomach-turning, mind-boggling mm -hmm. information. It, it's, it's out of control. And Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi tweeting the racist, homophobic attack on Jesse Smollett is an affront to our humanity. And Senator Cory Booker said the vicious attack on actor Jesse was an attempted modern-day lynching. Kamala Harris calling the attack an attempted modern-day lynching. But I'm so shaken by the story. This is horrible to report. This is a horrible story. I like this is a horrible story. Yeah. 
I mean, the circumstances wow. is just horrific. Absolutely despicable. Yeah, a lot of people can't believe this is actually happening in 2019. It's hard to believe that we're reporting, that we're even saying words like this in 2019. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is America in 2019. It's America in 2019. Juicy Smolier. Oh, man. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they run away with it like they normally do. Where's this thing going? Go away. Okay, cool. All right. Sorry, guys. Uh, but let's take a look at some of the other factors that are going to be coming up in this now. Okay, we're going to do a pretty, a pretty, a pretty simple but deep dive into some of the facts that were going on behind them. Now, the way this is being touted, and keep in mind they were doing jury selection today, but the way this is being touted is it's all going to hinge on whether or not they can prove that the Nigerian brothers that Juicy Smolier probably hired for a whole lot more than just training um, had anything to do with that all. Because these guys, they already said, hey, he hired us to rough him up. So now it's, I mean, now they have to prove that they were lying, basically. Um, when we look at some of the other evidence in this trial, I can't believe that that's the crux of this entire proceeding, is whether or not these guys were lying, okay? So uh, this is from Breitbart. We'll just take a look real quick at this, is kind of talking about this whole, this whole Nigerian collection, these supposed trainers, okay, right? Juicy Smoulier, hate crime, hoax trial, Brothers to testify, disgraced actor paid them to pose as his attackers. Okay. Uh, so let's see. We'll skip down a little. We'll get through all that. Okay. So uh, Smolier is accused of lying to police about the alleged attack and has been charged with felony disorderly conduct. Conduct. Uh, whether Smolier, uh, who is black and gay, testifies remains an open question, but the siblings... Uh, Abimbola and Albo Alabinjo Al Ola <laughs> sorry Abimbola and Olabinjo Osundero will take the witness stand where they are expected to repeat what they have told police officers and prosecutors that they carried out the attacks on Smoulier's behest. Okay. Um, let's see here. And there's a photo of them here. And we'll look at this again. Now here's Obimbola and Abombilo <laughs> or whatever. The, wait, Ambimbola and Olabinjo. Olabinjo. Okay. Am, Abimbola, Olabinjo. Okay. Here's Abimbola and Olabinjo purchasing the items that they wore during this supposed attack by MAGA country uh, lovers, right? Racist, uh, neo-Nazi uh, gay haters. Okay. Now, it says here, uh, jurors may also have uh, see surveillance video from more than four dozen cameras that police reviewed to trace the brothers' movement before and after the reported attack, as well as a video showing the brothers purchasing a red hat, ski masks, and gloves from a beauty supply shop hours earlier. <laughs> a beauty supply. I'm telling you, these guys are making it really hard not to pick on Juicy Smoulier for being, uh, you know, French. Smoulier's attorneys have not spelled out how they will confront that evidence, and the lead attorney, Nenye Uche, declined to comment, but there are clues as to how they might during the trial, which starts with jury selection Monday in a Chicago courtroom. It is expected to last a week. Uh, buried in nearly 500 pages of Chicago Police Department reports in a statement from a woman who lived in the area who says she saw a white man 
with reddish brown hair who appeared to be waiting for someone that night. Okay, I wonder how credible this woman is, right? She saw a white man, right, at two in the morning with reddish brown hair, even though they had, what, ski masks and hats on and hoodies, right? <laughs> uh, let's see, she told a detective that when the man turned around, away from her, she could see hanging out from underneath his jacket what appeared to be a rope. I'd like to know uh, if this woman has any connections to all of these people. So they're saying that this uh, statement could foul up, you know, uh, the uh, entire trial, right? Uh, I don't think there's much to worry about when you think about all of the other evidence that we're talking about here. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, given there is so much evidence, including the brothers' own statements, that they participated in the attacks, it is not likely that Smollier's attorney will try to prove they did not take part in it. That could perhaps lead the defense to contend that Smoulier was the victim of a very real attack at the hands of the brothers, perhaps with the help of others who now are only implicating the actor so prosecutors won't charge them too. Uh, the $3,500 check could be key while brothers, while the brothers say that that was their fee to carry out the fake attack. Smoulier has offered a different and much more innocent explanation that he wrote the check to pay one of them to work as his personal trainer um, and it says here, I would assume the defense is going to zero in on that, said Joe Lopez, a prominent uh, defense attorney not involved with the case. If they text messages uh, regarding training sessions, checks he, Smollier, wrote them for training photographs, the defense would use all of that. So we'll see how that goes for Juicy Smollier. Uh, before we get into some of the harder evidence, guys, um, I am actually going to, okay, because when, when we get down to it, guys, when we're talking about Juicy Smoulier and this obviously fake hate crime, okay, um, the court of public opinion, in, in my point of view, has already formed, okay, the, the court of public opinion has already formed its verdict for this trial, okay, there's no way they could change it. The cat cannot get back in the bag. And uh, this is the primary example of what I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen. Now, for those of you present, please be aware that in the clip I'm about to show you, there is very, very colorful and uh, vulgar language. So viewer discretion is advised. Uh, but, um, well, I would say enjoy nonetheless. So here, court of court of public opinion, guys. Here we go. Happens to the best. Don't ever forget what happened to that French actor. You know what I'm talking about? Juicy Smouillet. He's a very French, very famous French actor. Y'all never heard of Jesus Mouillet? Jesus Mouillet is an actor from France. And, and he became famous on a show called Empire. 
one night, he was in Chicago late at night and was the victim. <laughs> He was the victim of a, a racist and homophobic attack. You see, Juicy Smouye is <laughs> gay and he is black, not just French. <laughs> oh, it was a crazy story. Apparently, when he was walking down the street late at night, two white men came out of the shadows, uh, with MAGA hats on, beat him up. Tied a rope around his neck, called him all kinds of niggas, and, and put some bleach on him and ran off into the night. <laughs> this shit was like international news. And everybody was furious, especially in Hollywood. It's all over everybody's Twitter feed and Instagram page. Justice for Juicy and all this shit. <laughs> The whole country was up in arms. He was talking about it all the time on the news. And, and for some reason, uh, African-Americans, we were like oddly quiet. <laughs> we were so quiet about this shit that the gay community started accusing African-American community of being homophobic for not supporting him. But what they didn't understand is that we were supporting him with our silence. <laughs> because we understood that this nigga was clearly lying. <laughs> None of these details added up at all. He said he's walking down the street in Chicago and, and uh, white dudes come up to him and say, hey man, aren't you that faggot nigger from Empire? The uh, uh, fuck? Does that sound like how white people talk? No white people. They don't talk like that. Are you that faggot nigga from Empire? They would never say that. It sounds like something that I would say. <laughs> if you're racist and homophobic, you're not even gonna know who this nigga is if you can't watch Empire. Black people never feel sorry for the police, but this time we even felt sorry for the police. Can you imagine if you was a police veteran taking this kid's police report? Okay, Mr. Smoulier, please tell me what happened. All right, well, 2 a.m. We left the house at 2 a.m. It's minus 16 degrees. All right. You were walking, you were walking. All right. And, and where were you going? Subway. Sandwiches? <laughs> That's when the men approached you? Did you see them? Do you have any? Okay, what, what do they have on? MAGA hats! MAGA hats on in Chicago? Excuse me one second, Mr. Smoulier. Frank, come here for a second. Find out where Kanye West was last night. Okay, guys. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <laughs>
All right. I yeah, I I, I enjoy these things sometimes. <laughs> but the am I am I not wrong, guys? The uh, court of public opinion, right, will not be changed. <laughs> When we're talking about uh, Smoulier and all of these things, um, okay, so yeah, there we got we got a laugh on, we got a laugh on. <laughs> we'll move aside from that right now. We'll move aside from that right now. Let's talk about uh, some of these other connections that we have here. But yeah, court court of, court of public opinions not going to change, uh, not when you have it that obviously you know uh, in your face about some of the things. But okay, so there was a lot of other things going around with this entire uh, juicy smolier thing as it was going on, as it was breaking. Um, some other things that we were looking at. Uh, before we get into the Tina Chen and Kim Fox connections, as 123SKG pointed out in the chat rooms, um, let's talk about the Justice for Victims of Lynching Act, okay? The Justice for Victims of Lynching Act. Because what was happening at this time is that we had um, almost, almost simultaneously, ladies and gentlemen, we had the uh, this lynching act that was trying to be passed in the Senate by uh, one Kamala Harris, one Cory Booker, and one Tim Scott. Okay, and it, it was just interesting how all of this happened at the same time. Uh, now, true, the lynching act bill had been introduced in 2018, but it was going up for vote around this time. Now, just a real quick recap on the Justice for Victims of Lynching Act. Uh, the internet described it as this. The Justice for Victims of Lynching Act of 2018 was a proposed bill to classify uh, lynching defined as bodily injury on the basis of perceived race, color, religion, or nationality, a federal crime in the United States. The largely symbolic bill aimed to recognize and apologize for historical governmental failures to prevent lynching in the United States. The act was introduced in the United States Senate in June of 2018 by the body's three Black members, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, and Tim Scott. The legislation passed the Senate unanimously on December 19, 2018. The bill died because it was not passed by the House before the 115th Congress ended on January 3rd, 2019. Uh, so I have this article here from News One, which is another lefty organization. Uh, but this one actually, because uh, in, in some of their other articles regarding the lynching act, Jesse Smoulier and um, Kamala Harris, uh, they totally deny anything that uh, Kamala had to do with um, Juicy and also the lynching act. And they also... Uh, um, had, there was another interesting point that they had, like apparently in this lynching act law or the bill, uh, there was verbiage uh, to the effect that lynching, uh, as per its definition, would be expanded to include sexual orientation. So then there was also, um, I guess uh, it was surmised that uh, possibly they were trying to pass this lynching, uh, anti-lynching law to in include um, uh, any attacks on homosexuals or, uh, you know, uh, the likes of that community to be included uh, and protected under the anti-lynching law. Um, and just, just as a forethought, when I think about how 
the left, the Democrats, and uh, you know, communist socialist sympathizers have painted conservatives. Can you imagine what kind of fire and what kind of uh, persecution conservatives might have come under if a law like this had actually been passed? And I'll tell you why in, in a moment uh, that could be even more so based on this article here um, about where this News One leftist organization um, actually admits that you know Cory Booker did use the Juicy Smollier attack as a reason why they need to pass the anti-lynching law. Uh, let's see here. Of course, they want to point out more than 4,700 people were lynched between 1882 and 1968. And that is why the America of 2019 is, is still the same. And that's why, you know, Juicy Smollier has to hire two Nigerian brothers, uh, you know, to, uh, to uh, throw a noose around him and bleach him and call him all kinds of, well, I won't say what Dave Chappelle said, but anyways, it's funny as heck. Okay. So uh, this article says, uh, New Jersey's Democrat Senator Cory Booker has pointed to the racist and homophobic attack on Juicy Smoulier to show the necessity for Congress to finally pass an anti-lynching law, which cleared a key hurdle Thursday at, as it winds its way through the legislative process. The uh, U.S. Senate passed the anti-lynching bill on Thursday, uh, announced by Kamala Mala Harris. Okay, there's a tweet from her, our anti-lynching bill, which would make lynching a federal crime, just unanimously passed the Senate. Lynching is a dark, despicable part of our nation's history, and I'm hopeful this measure will swiftly pass the House. Uh, in December, the Senate made history, blah, 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 by passing the bill. Okay, uh, now let's see here. Uh, let's go back down here. So uh, Booker dispelled any notion that there was no need for an anti-lynching law in the 21st century. He says, this is from Cory Booker. The vicious attack on actor Juicy Smoulier was an attempt, uh, attempted modern-day lynching. Booker tweeted in January, I'm glad he's safe to those in Congress why, uh, who don't feel the urgency to pass our anti-lynching bill, designated lynching as a federal hate crime. I urge you to pay attention. And then it goes into the details about the 2 a.m. walk to Subway for Juicy Smoulier that was so uh, mercilessly destroyed by Dave Chappelle. Uh, but here was one of the key things I saw uh, as being important. Uh, let me see here. Okay, so uh, it says here, the Senate's three black senators, Harris Booker and Republican Senator Tim Scott, introduced the Justice for Victims of Lynching Act in 2018 in June. It calls for a life prison sentence for those found guilty on federal anti-lynching charges. Ladies and gentlemen, the amount of persecution conservatives would have faced had this bill passed. And I don't think it's speculation to say when I read a line like this bill called for a life prison sentence with all of the ire all of the uh, animus that the left, the Democrats, the progressives were putting into identifying conservatives, MAGA supporters, Republicans, America first loving individuals as racist, as homophobic, as Nazis. 
they could have really set the stage for something bad had this bill gone through. And that was actually the sentiment that I really wanted to get out across. A life prison sentence, ladies and gentlemen, which means if those attackers had been real for Juicy Smoulier, if his story were not so hokey, you know, uh, and his if his acting were not so bad, uh, they may have gotten away with it, guys. But let's take a gander at the Kamanawanalanaheya, uh, the Kamala Harris connection between Juicy Smoulier and uh, the anti-lynching bill and just everything in general, guys. Uh, she's got her fingerprints all over this. Uh, she's got, she, Kamala Harris, as well as, you know, Obama, uh, Barry Sotero, they have their fingers all over Juicy Smoulier. You know, and uh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll stay decent. OK, so let's go to uh, this is the uh, Illustrated Primer. Um, and uh, the article is called our multi-tiered justice system. But uh, they do a deep dive into what was going on with Juicy Smoulier and all the evidence. And then we'll wrap it up with Juicy Smoulier and we'll go on to Nygaard, guys. Yeah, we ain't going to get into Ghislaine Maxwell, Ghislaine, Ghislaine, Ghislaine Maxwell. Uh, yeah, they were just jury selecting. I think they finalized it. When I last left off prior to getting on the air today, uh, the judge had selected six jurors and had dismissed one. So that's up to the minute news on Ghislaine Maxwell's trial of the day. Okay, all right, let's take a look at this article. And uh, again, guys, we're just kind of rehashing the details of the Juicy Smoulier. Why I think it's funny that they're saying that this entire trial hinges on the two brothers when they have all of this stuff we're about to go through is uh is is quite uh interesting uh, to note uh but here let's see what it says uh the juicy smoulier case provides a good illustration of how the multi-tiered justice system works on january 29th 2019 the actor told chicago police that he was attacked in the early hours of the night by two men wearing ski masks and a maga hat and yet somehow a woman was able to see reddish brown hair on a Caucasian man with a rope underneath his arm. Go figure. Okay. He claimed that they beat him up, used racial and homophobic slurs against him, placed a rope noose around his neck and poured bleach on him. A week into the investigation, the police determined that Smoulier had paid two Nigerian brothers to stage the fake hate crime and assault him. The police charged him with 16 felony counts, including filing false police reports but the Chicago DA, under the influence of Michelle Obama, Michael Obama, who knew Smoulier, dropped all charges. Smoulier held a number of conversations with Congressman Cory Booker and Congresswoman Kamala Harris about supporting their sponsored Justice for Victims of Lynching Act and providing the needed public momentum for the bill to pass the Senate and House votes. The timeline of these conversations, December 21st through January 18th, 2019, suggests that the death threat letter with the white powder he had sent himself, January 22nd through January 23rd, and his staged attack on January 29th, were timed to create an opinion groundswell to support the bill and prop the political and professional careers of three masterminds. It is noteworthy that both Harris and Booker released separate statements condemning Smoulier's attack using identical language. And we'll look at that now. 
Here's their tweets. Uh, you got Cory Booker. This vicious attack on actor Juicy Smoulier was an attempted modern day lynching. I'm glad he's safe. To those in Congress who don't feel the urgency to pass our anti-lynching bill, designated lynching, um, designating lynching as a federal hate crime, I urge you to pay attention. That was at 12.09 p.m. on January 29th. Then you have Kamala Harris. At Juicy Smoulier is one of the kindest, most gentle human beings I know. I'm praying for his quick recovery. This was an attempted modern-day lynching. No one should have to feel to fear for their life because of their sexuality or color of their skin. We must confront this hate at 1.30 p.m. on the same day. So uh, here you have uh, Kamala Harris and Cory Booker uh, an hour and a half apart, basically, of each other. And keep this in mind. Juicy Smoulier was attacked at 2.09 a.m., on January 29th, okay? Police are still investigating. Police are still looking for a motive at this point. And uh, you already have them declaring this to be a lynching, all right? So clearly there's some kind of political um, um, uh, political uh, reason for them to want to push this, right? I mean, it's pretty easy to, it's pretty easy to, uh, to understand that. Now, back to this article. It says, when Booker released his statement at 12.09 p.m. and Harris released hers at 1.30 p.m., they could not have possibly known what the motive for the attack was because the police uh, was only a few hours into the investigation. The first tip that the Chicago police received regarding the true nature of the case came from within Smoulier's inner circle. One of his friends realized that he was now being investigated as a suspect and decided that he did not want to be an unnecessary, uh, to be an accessory to a crime. He then contacted the police and told them that the entire event was orchestrated by Smoulier. This is another indicator that multiple participants knew about the staged attack. Smoulier spoke with the Asandero brothers an hour before the attack on January 29th and conducted a final dress reversal or rehearsal with them. He then contacted them again after the attack and encouraged them to get to the airport on time. On the evening of January 29th, 2019, about 18 hours after the attack, the brothers arrived to Terminal 5 at O'Hare Airport and boarded Turkish Airlines flight to Istanbul. The following day, on January 30th, 2019, Smoulier called them while they were in Istanbul waiting for their connecting flight to Nigeria and talked to them about the need to follow the plan. He contacted them again after their arrival to Nigeria to discuss some complications. He became a suspect and the need to switch to plan B. This further indicates that the whole event was worked out in advance, including elements like deniability and alibis. Plan B incidentally covered the scenarios of the brothers getting questioned by the police and included contingencies such as 1. Using a complex password on the phone to prevent the police from accessing their devices. 2. Switching the SIM card between the hot phone and a clean phone. They had four phones. Three, a briefing about the intricacies of Miranda rights and search warrants. And four, importance of not answering any questions or cooperating with the police without an attorney being present. 
So all of this stuff is evidence that they already have on this case. Okay. So why is it, uh, I, I mean, I guess it's just, we got to prove that the brothers are telling the truth about being hired. Okay. And uh, they're hoping that uh, they have text messages to the effect that, yeah, you're going to be a trainer and this is the fee. Okay. Uh, but, but all of this is already here, guys. It's already pretty much laid out. Um, so, I mean, Juicy Smollier, I think, I think justice has not been served uh, in regards to what he's done. But um, I think, uh, you know, the plate is hot and it's coming out the kitchen and it's about to land on his table is kind of how it seems. Let's uh, let's go and finish up with this article. It's fun, fun stuff we got in this one. Okay. So it says here, uh, when the Chicago police finally executed a search warrant on the Ossendero brothers' apartment, they found at a gun valve. They found a gun valve, a gun vault safe that contained the following items. So in a safe, they found these items. They found uh, a hit point model C9, nine millimeter caliber semi-auto pistol, a nine millimeter caliber magazine with live rounds, a 45 ACP caliber magazines a Glock brand with live rounds. The pistol was missing. They found boxes labeled Remington 22 rounds. The rifle was missing. They found one box labeled Hornady uh, Zero Buckshot shells. The shotgun was missing. They found a box labeled Blazer 45 auto ammunition, a box labeled Federal 45 auto am ammo, um, fabric fanny pack green in color, they found a paper packet containing two small plastic bags containing white powder, keeping in mind that the, uh, that the uh, letter that Juicy Smoulier mailed to himself contained white powder in it. Uh, they found an unknown make, unknown model, black laser sight, and they found one $20 bill, United States currency, and miscellaneous paperwork, which were receipts for the red hat, the bleach, and the noose. Okay, uh, and there's just a photo of the items that were found in the vault, okay? Uh, there is a photo of Juicy Smollier's music video, uh, Need Freedom is the name of the song, Not Worth the Listen. Okay, it says here, uh, Smollier, Smollier's and his high society circle friends' affinity for crime and their ability to get away with something as outrageous as this affair raises questions about the size and reach of their fixer network. Smoulier, who is one of the great progressive moral champions of the anti-gun lobby, hired, befriended, professionally supported, and according to his attorney, had sex with one of the Osendero brothers, all while knowing full well who they were without any fear of prosecution. Okay. Now that's a little detail that I had failed to see, guys, as I was holding myself back for making jokes about what that $3,500 was really for. But it appears that uh, Juicy Smoulier was, in fact, intimate with one of those supposed bodybuilders. Okay, man, if I had caught that one, I would have been cracking jokes the whole time. Now, possession of a handgun in Chicago without a license is illegal and can result in a felony or a Class A misdemeanor punishable by one to three years in prison. Considering that the two Nigerian brothers engaged in various criminal and scam activities like distributing bodybuilding steroids, mailing death threats, lynching for hire, lying to the police, and keeping an illegal cachet of weapons at home, how is it that the Chicago PDDA just let them go? 
what kind of an incantation did they possibly invoke to deploy this kind of protective magic? Beyond the obvious question of how Smoulier managed to shake off 16 felony charges without breaking a sweat is also the issue of Cory Booker's and Kamala Harris's involvement in the planning and orchestration of Smoulier's publicity stunt. All material evidence suggests that parts of the events were influenced by Booker and Harris. Some of the puzzling questions about this case are who, besides Tina Chen, Kim Fox, Michelle Obama, and Jesse Jackson Sr. Jr., another big-time felon, was in on the decision that Smoulier's punishment should be limited to forfeiting his $10,000 bail and volunteering with Reverend Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Push Coalition for 16 hours, and who worked out, coordinated, and blessed the details of this settlement. There is uh, Jesse Jackson Jr. and Juicy Smoulier in court. One felon absolving another felon. Juicy Smoulier spent 16 hours volunteering at the Rainbow Push Coalition and got a sign-off form from Jesse Jackson um, Jr. Okay. Now, here's the here's the big infographic that I wanted to share with you guys. Um, this is detailing the network that Juicy Smoulier uh, Tina Chen, Kim Fox, the Obamas, the Clintons, and uh, the Osodero brothers all have together. I don't know if you guys have seen this or not, but let's take a gander. Okay, so uh, let's see here. At the very top of the heading, it says, uh, Kim Fox, the Illinois state's attorney, who dropped charges against Smoulier, her political network, the Obamas' role, and the two Nigerians Smoulier paid to attack him. So let's take a look at all of these. We'll start here. Uh, Tina Chen and Kim Fox message about dropping charges against Smoulier. Here's a message from Tina Chen to Kim Fox uh, dated February 1st. Hi, Kim. I sent an email to your work address, I think, as well. I wanted to give you a call on behalf of Juicy Smoulier and family who I know. They have concerns about the investigation. I am on an 8 a.m. flight to New York City, but please call me before then. I land about 1015 Chicago time. My cell number is etc. Many thanks. Um, and then uh, here's some more uh, talking between the two. Oh, my God, a this would be a huge victory. Uh, this would be a Chen. I make no guarantees, but I'm trying, says Fox. I understand. I appreciate the effort. She says, hey, I hope all is well. I wanted to check in with you about what's happening here when you have a moment. They get together and they call and they talk with each other. Here's a few more. Uh, so Fox tells Chen, I'm recused, but when people accuse us of overcharging cases, 16 counts on a class four becomes exhibit A. Okay. Um, something we should be looking at generally just because we can charge something doesn't mean we should. Agreed. Um, 10 counts, washed up celeb who lied to cops, 16. Uh, on a case eligible for deferred prosecution, I think it's indicative of something we should be looking at generally. Just because we can charge him doesn't mean we should. I'll get with Risa and Jim. Uh, with him taking over, we can take a hard look at how we charge the case and get in into something, etc. So now this right here, guys, uh, in this photo, this is the letter that Juicy Smoulier sent to himself. Okay. Here's the... Uh, this is so retarded. The death threat letter Smoulier sent himself. They did the entire serial killer snipping out of the magazine, which I might add, they found the magazine in the Osendero brothers apartment with the letters uh, absence that were clipped out. 
There's a little graphic right here. They're, they're going to shoot him, right? It looks like a little five-year-old put this thing together. Uh, and then here is a photo, of course, again, of Alimbinjo and Ambimbolo, Bon Osendero, purchasing their supplies that they used in the attack on Juicy Smoulier. Okay. Right here, guys. This is from the police, uh, I guess, report, their handwritten descriptions. Okay, it says here, police logs showing the items seized from the Osendero Brothers Chicago home included a red hat and the magazine that was used to create the letter cutouts for the death threat letter Smoulier mailed to uh, Empire Studio on January 22nd, 2019. Magazine right here. The magazine's right here. Okay, let's see if that, there's a photo of that in here also. Yeah, there it is. Do you see how it's the, the letters are all put together? Uh, laptop, bleach. Okay, they have the bleach. Uh, they have the red hat. They have the script. They have a script for the show Empire in their building. Okay, what are the odds that the Osendero brothers, who, uh, well, I mean, one of them slept with... <laughs> <laughs> One of them slept with Smoulier, but uh, but these are guys who uh, are supposedly white, right? They're supposedly MAGA country. Uh, and even if they aren't, maybe they really did beat him up. Then why on earth would they have a script from Empire? Okay. Why would they have a script from Empire? <laughs> and why would he hire them to be their bodybuild, his bodybuilder or his trainers if they're just going to go and beat him up? Okay. So anyway... <laughs> This case is ridiculous. Okay, now here's Kim Fox. This is the uh, Chicago DA, right, that basically dropped the entire charges against him. They dropped the entire charges against Chica uh, against uh, Juicy Smollier until, uh, you know, uh, she supposedly recuses herself. And then, you know, the police officers are like, no, we're not going to let him get away with this. Plus, we want him to compensate us for all of the man hours that we put into investigating this and finding him. Uh, uh, to have uh, committed these crimes. Uh, this is Kim Fox with Bill Clinton. Wonderful to discuss criminal justice reform with Bill Clinton today. Okay. Uh, and here she is with uh, Cory Booker. It's great to have the inspirational Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey here in Chicago. Kim Fox, Cory Booker. Here's a photo of Cory Booker in the corner with Juicy Smoulier. And then, of course, here's Cory Booker's uh, statement about um, the modern-day lynching of, uh, of uh, Juicy Smollier. Uh, let me go ahead and get these ones down here also. Here again is Kim Fox with Jesse Jackson. Let's not forget Jesse Jackson Jr. is the one who basically gave him the really easy, uh, easy um, um, uh, punishment. Happy birthday at Reverend Jesse Jackson. Wonderful to visit. Uh, the RP Coalition this morning to celebrate your leadership at the Rainbow Push headquarters. That's where Juicy Smoulier served 16 hours of community service. No telling what he was doing there. Now here's Kim Fox with Kamala Harris. So excited to meet at Kamala Harris, who has inspired me throughout my campaign. Um, Emily's list. Okay, anyways. And then, of course, there is Kamala's um, letter or her tweet about the modern day lynching of Juicy Smoulier. Uh, here is now photos of uh, Kim Fox with Hillary Clinton. Uh, this one here being central. Kamala Harris photoed with Juicy Smoulier. Uh, Juicy Smoulier and Kamala Harris at the 2018 Kingdom Day Parade. Now, this here times up. I believe is a nonprofit organization. And if I'm not mistaken, 
I've heard that there are some more details with the Time's Up nonprofit, Kamala Harris and Juicy Smoulier that need to be examined. I've tried to do some digging into that, but I could come up with nothing, but I was tipped off about it. Honored to share the ballot with the first woman majority party president nominee and to be the first double uh, A woman for n- nominee for uh, CCSA, Kim Fox. Now here's the Tina Chen connection to Michael Obama and Barack Obama. Man, look at her. She looks like a freaking man. Uh, It says here, Tina Chen, assistant to President Barack Obama, chief of staff to First Lady Michelle Obama, Michael Obama, and executive director of the White House Council on Women and Girls at the White House. Okay, so there's that connection there between Tina Chen, Michael Obama, and Barack Obama. Tina Chen, of course, being connected to Kim Fox in this uh, this little part of the infographic here, Kim Fox and Tina Chen exchanging about how to uh, deal with this Juicy Smoulier debacle. Now we'll go down here, Juicy Smoulier and Michael Obama laughing it up at the White House. Look at this man, man, look at, look at, she got hairy armpits too. You guys see that? Got that hair in that armpit. Look, do you want me to expand it? Okay. <laughs> You see, all you have to do is give them a big old floofy hairstyle and it, it hides the broadness of the shoulders, right? Oh, and then and then what do you do here? You just do a simple surgery where you, you cut the squareness out of the jaw or maybe you just do a really bad makeup job. Anyways, okay, let's let, we'll get off of that. Okay, okay, America. Okay, America. Anyways, here is uh, Michael Obama. Barack, Barry, Obama, and Juicy Smoulier um, with uh, the Obamas at the White House. And then finally, there are the two Nigerian racists, the MAGA hat wearing brothers uh, who happen, one of them happens to be gay. We don't know which one it is, but apparently one of them is uh, gay also. So these homophobes, uh, Olambinjo and Ambinbola Osandero. All right, who are now the crux of this entire trial, okay? And then here's an image of the two white MAGA hatters, the MAGA, MAGA countrymen. This is the image. This is one of the images from January 29th at 2.10 a.m. The Asundero brothers both have confessed to being paid by Smoulier to stage this attack, Okay. Finally, we're getting to the end of this infographic, guys, and we'll move away from Smoulier because Juicy Smoulier did a great job of distracting us from the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, right? Okay. So 123SKG says Tina Chen is also connected with Time's Up. See, that's something that needs to be explored, I think. Uh, Here's Michael Obama and Juicy Smoulier. Uh, on stage uh, at uh, college signing day at Tempe Temple University. I apologize. Uh, here's a photo of the check. It was paid to Ambimbolo Osendero. So I'm willing to bet that Ambimbolo is probably the one that had relations. Ooh, they had relations. Juicy Smoulier and Ambimbolo Osendero. At least by the 23rd of January 2019, they got to know each other rather intimately. Okay. Uh, let's see here. And then uh, this next infographic. Yeah, it was paid a week before the supposed attack. 
This next infographic just uh, shows how um, Juicy Smoulier was following the Ambimbola brothers or the Asundero brothers. Sorry, Ambimbola. Agar, what's up? It says, Juicy Smoulier followed the two brothers, Asundero, Team Abel on Instagram. He hired them as personal trainers and paid them $3,500 for the attack. Both brothers boarded a flight to Nigeria the day after the attack and remained there for two weeks before heading back to United States. There we go. That's just showing that he followed them. And then I believe these here. <coughs> oh, this is uh, messages between uh, the uh, team Abel, right? And uh, Juicy Smoulier about his diet. And then finally, a little image about um, uh, the physical scene of the, uh, the supposed attack. The attack happened down here. Uh, this is where Juicy Smoulier left the sandwich shop at 2 a.m. in the morning at the end of January. And uh, this is where the culprits were seen walking around 1.45. So I guess they passed each other up and then they attacked him. Who knows, guys? Who knows? Rather interesting report, though. I think just some details to kind of look at again as we see the hammer of justice come down on one juicy smoulier. He sounds like a, uh, he sounds like a, what do you call it? He sounds like a, uh, a smoothie, right? The juicy smoulier smoothie. <laughs> Anyways, this is Kim Fox, the Chicago DA. And of course, Kamala Harris, uh, as we're looking at some of their ties together. We'll wrap it up with this, guys. Kamala Harris and the Juicy Smoulier hate crime hoax. Another good article. This one coming out of news.com.australia. Um, let me see down here real quick where we talk about the uh, connection between Kamala Walla Harris and these uh, this woman here, the DA. Uh, just real quick. It says here, uh, it turns out Miss Harris happens to also be close with the prosecutor, Cook County State Attorney Kim Fox, whose office was behind the decision to drop the charges against Smoulier. In January 22nd tweet, she described the senator who co-chaired Miss Fox's transition committee after being elected to the office in 2016 as her inspiration and noted she had continued to mentor me as I worked to reform the criminal justice system in Cook County. So there she is right here. I'm so excited that Kamala Harris has decided to run for president. So yeah, this is dated. This is August uh, 2020, I believe. Uh, August 16, 2020 is when this article came out. Then it talks about the uh, Tina Chen and Fox emails right here that we'd uh, previously seen on the last infographic. And then uh, finally, down here at the bottom, we have... Um, State Attorney Fox, in spite of swimming against the current of a system that is still slow to change, has brought bold and historical change to Cook County uh, criminal justice system. That's Kamala Harris endorsing her. In February, uh, Ms. Harris formally endorsed uh, Ms. Fox's re-election bid. So there you go. They have those ties together as well when we're talking about the connection between Harris and Smoulier and the DA. It's just one big old poo-poo platter. But I think uh, Juicy Smoulier is into that kind of a thing. So uh, I guess all of this fits well for them uh, when that's what we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen. 
All right, that wraps it up for distraction from Ghislaine Maxwell's trial number one. Or it's actually number two. We'll put Jack Dorsey leaving uh, tw Twitter, <laughs> uh, leaving the CEO's Twitter. We'll we'll put that as distraction number one from the Ghislaine Maxwell case. Uh, we'll put Juicy Smoulier's trial as distraction number two. Now, this uh, this dirty looking old man on the screen here. Uh, probably is not a distraction from Ghislaine Maxwell's case. Probably they don't want anyone talking about this case. That is uh, one Peter Nygaard, the fallen fashionista, fashion designer of women's clothing. Uh, falling from grace as he has been, uh, well, he was arrested in December of last year under charges of racketeering and sex and human trafficking, okay? He is referred to as the Canadian Jeffrey Epstein, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, a case that they don't really like it when they talk about these things because just like with the Ghislaine Maxwell case, it really, really brings to the surface the seedy and sordid underbelly of celebrity and uh, and high powerful business and financing, okay, and and what these people are actually into. They don't want any evidence of this stuff existing, guys. Uh, but let's talk about Peter Nygaard and this case. This is a case that's not getting a whole lot of attention, and it won't just yet because uh, they they're bringing this guy in for arraignments, and uh, they're trying to figure out bail settings and bond settings and all these things. So he has not officially gone to trial. Now, a quick recap of the story about Peter Nygaard, and then we're going to jump into some video, guys, uh, that's going to really kind of sum up what we're talking about. Uh, from the Canadian Broadcasting Commission, they say Nygaard, 80 years old, has been in custody since he was arrested at, Win at a Winnipeg house last December on separate sex trafficking and racketeering conspiracy charges in the United States. A bail hearing for former fashion mogul Peter Nygaard was adjourned again in a Toronto courtroom Friday morning as lawyers try to find dates for a longer hearing. The hearing is related to charges of sexual assault and forcible confinement in Toronto. So he's got charges in Canada as well as in the United States of America. Nygaard's defense lawyer, Brian Greenspan, told the court Friday he and Ontario Crown prosecutors had a special bail hearing conference that morning to try to find two days to schedule the matter, but no dates have been set yet. In the meantime, the case was scheduled to be back in court on December 10th for an update. So the next day that we'll have Nygaard or anything involving his case in court will be December 10th. This, again, is part of that long game, ladies and gentlemen. Justice does take time, and it seems that uh, the lawyers are going to keep pushing back, and the judges are going to keep pushing back and pushing back any dates for Nygaard. In the meantime, let's take an examination of Nygaard and what he's being tried for um, in this in this arena. Um, again, ladies and gentlemen, he is being referred to as the Canadian Jeffrey Epstein. And again, in honor of the Jepstein proxy trial by way of one Ghislaine Maxwell, we'll go ahead and take a look at Peter Nygaard, the Canadian Jeffrey Epstein, and see what he's all about. 
Uh, now, the video I'm going to show you guys, we're not going to play this whole way through. The uh, indictment against uh, Peter Nygaard is sealed, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, the person who put this uh, video together, they actually have the indictment in this video. So we'll look at some of it, but not all of it. And uh, man, I searched everywhere to get the text of that indictment. But like I said, it's sealed, so you can no longer see it. Uh, they released it briefly to the public when he was first indicted back in December. And then they sealed the document again. So if you were able to get it back in December, you got it. Or I don't know if you have to use one of those uh, 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 trial court purchasing services. I don't have uh, the means for that at this moment. But nevertheless, let's take a look at this uh, this video that kind of uh, briefs us all on what was going on with why he was arrested. And uh, I'll see you guys on the other side for a few more brief videos before we wrap it up today on the C Report. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, we'll see you guys on the other side. That's not a Travis Scott reference, by the way. So if you haven't heard of the Canadian Jeffrey Epstein yet, his name is Peter Nygaard, and he's a Canadian fashion mogul. He founded Nygaard International, which specializes in women's fashion and women's clothing. He was just arrested about two days ago in Canada on sex trafficking charges, but he's waiting extradition to the United States. He also has other charges in Canada currently. These current charges that just happened, they were filed in America, the United States of America, and he also has um, a warrant pending, I think, in the Bahamas or something like that. So nothing else really matters right now except for these American charges because everybody knows that the American government goes hard when they want to get you. And these are some big charges. There's a reason why they're calling him the Canadian Jeffrey Epstein because his charges are similar to Jeffrey Epstein because he did the exact same things that Jeffrey Epstein was doing. You know, sex trafficking young girls between him and his buddies. He was using his, you know, fashion uh, companies as a front, well, you know, as a way to get girls to, you know, build trust with them. He would try to promise them jobs and uh, jobs as becoming models and stuff. If they would have sex with him and have sex with his friends, he also was prostituting them around and just using his power as a rich old guy to try to, you know, take advantage and prey on these young girls. He even had his own little pedo island set up. I'll get to the U.S. indictment in a second in which he's been charged with racketeering conspiracy charges in the United States. But first, I want to talk about um, his current charges that he has in Canada that have been going on for about a couple of years now. Anyways, the two people that charged him in Canada, they charged him for sexual assault. And the two people are his sons. So his sons are basically saying, two of his sons are saying that when they were around 13 or 14 years old, their dad, Peter Nygaard, bought a prostitute and basically ordered his two sons to have sex with the prostitute. I think it was uh, to lose their virginity or something when they were young kids, you know, teenagers or something at the time. And I guess, you know, that traumatized them or whatever. And they came out and uh, are pressing these charges. I don't have the full information on it, but you can look around because I want to talk more about um, the warrant and the indictment. I have the paperwork for it right now and I'll go over it. But first, let's listen to an audio clip of one of his sons speaking, one of Peter Nygaard's sons speaking about him. It's been really difficult to deal with. Yeah, I'm disgusted by all this stuff. It, it's been awful. I can't in good consciousness have this uh, Epstein to Canada case end with him riding off in the sunset in Cuba, avoiding all charges with a pot of money offshore. He believes that he's above the law. The law does not apply to him. So that's just a few words from one of his son. 
Now, I know they're calling Peter Nygaard the Canadian Jeffrey Epstein. But if you think about it, he was actually a cross between Harvey Weinstein, you know, the Hollywood guy, and Jeffrey Epstein. Harvey Weinstein would, you know, prey on girls who are trying to get into the movie industry and become actresses and everything like that. You know, he'd prey on them, try to tell them to have sex with him, and he'll give them jobs, promise them jobs, shit like that, acting like a total prick, total predator. Peter Nygaard was doing the same thing. He was exploiting these young girls who were trying to get into the fashion industry and become models. And on top of that, he was also sex trafficking, trafficking them to all of his little pervert buddies so they could have their little pedal parties and everything, just like, uh, just like Jeffrey Epstein was doing. So here we're looking at the actual um, indictment, paperwork from the indictment. So you can see here, United States of America versus Peter Nygaard. So count one, racketeering conspiracy. Those are big charges. That's lifetime in jail. So a little bit of the, about the background. At all times relevant to this indictment, Peter Nygaard, the defendant, was the leader and founder of an international clothing design, manufacturing, and supply business headquartered in Winnipeg, Canada, with major offices and warehouses in the United States, including New York City and California. The fashion business has multiple product lines and brands, many of which bear variants on the name Nygaard. So right here, at all times relevant to this indictment, Peter Nygaard, the defendant, and others known and unknown, including employees of the Nygaard group, used company funds, employees, resources, and influence to recruit, entice, transport, harbor, and maintain adult and minor age female victims for Nygaard's sexual gratification and, on occasion, the gratification of Nygaard's personal friends and business associates by, among other things, sex trafficking, interstate and international transport for purpose of engaging in prostitution and other illegal sexual activities and related offenses. Nygaard and others known and unknown, including employees of the Nygaard group, used force, fraud, and coercion to cause women to engage in commercial sex with Nygaard and others and to maintain and to remain with Nygaard against their will. Nygaard and others known and unknown, including employees of the Nygaard group, have engaged in obstructive co uh, conduct aimed at preventing witnesses from reporting Nygaard's sexual crimes. Now that's crazy. There, you know, that's a big thing. He's there. Screw the fucking little hobby, right? Screw his little fucking side hobby of fucking just being a little pedal. They're trying to say that, this guy had a huge operation going on, you know, trafficking multiple women. I don't know, tens, maybe hundreds of young girls to all these places, to his friends, making money off of that. They're trying to say that that was, you know, he was operating a huge fucking enterprise of sex trafficking apart from his little, you know, perverted hobby that he was doing. It wasn't just a little perverted fucking hobby of his. It was a huge fucking enterprise. Lots of money was being made. Now we'll go down a little bit. So they're talking about how this, this is an enterprise. So they're actually saying that his company is an enterprise. When we're talking about the enterprise, we're talking about the organization and everybody working in it because they were saying they were using it as an enterprise of trafficking, trafficking the women. So the purpose of Nygaard and his co-conspirators, the purpose of Peter Nygaard, the defendant and his co-conspirators in the racketeering conspiracy were to use the facade of a legitimacy created by the enterprise, which is his companies, as well as the enterprise's business operations, reputation, and resources to facilitate and to conceal their racketeering activity, including sex trafficking, interstate and international transport for purpose of engaging in prostitution, 
and other illegal sexual activities and related offenses. The Racketeering Conspiracy. From at least in or about 1995 up to and including in or about 2020, so this is 25 years they're saying it was going on for, in the Southern District of New York and elsewhere, Peter Nygaard, the defendant, and others known and unknown being persons employed by and associated with the enterprise described in paragraphs one through six of this indictment, knowingly combined, conspired, confederated, and agreed together and agreed together and with each other to violate the racketeering laws of the United States to wit section 1962, blah, 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 the United States code to conduct and participate directly and indirectly in affairs. So they're just basically saying how they're charging them, right? How they're able to come up with these racketeering charges and how they're trying to make them stick according to the law. Multiple acts indictable under, so, you know, these are all the, uh, the acts and the, constitution or legislation or whatever they call it sex trafficking of minors and by force fraud and coercion transportation for purpose of prostitution and other illegal sexual activities obstruction of justice money laundering it was a part of the conspiracy that the defendant agreed that a conspirator would commit at least two acts of racketeering activity in the conduct of the affairs of the enterprise Oh, should we play that fun fact real quick? <laughs> okay, let's play the fun fact real quick. Fact about Peter Nygaard, he actually used to date Anna Nicole Smith for a few years back in the early 2000s. So continuing on, looking... Okay, we'll go ahead and stop there. So like I said, this indictment has been sealed again, so you can't find it on the internet unless you can find the right links, or I don't know, maybe if you go back to the Wayback Machine, I'm not sure. Uh, but that is a brief on what was going on with Peter Nygaard. Now, it looks like from the chat that a lot of uh, the uh, friends out there are familiar with some of the uh, some of the um, uh, some of the case, some of the matters of this case. Um, let's see here. Yeah, Java says it sounds he sounds like uh, Lex Vexner. Yeah. So it's like, uh, you know, because. Lex Vexner and his, uh, you know, Victoria's Secret. And then, uh, you know, you have Epstein who had his thing, but Vexner was hiding all of that behind his business. So really is what that sounds like, what Nygaard was doing as well. Kind of like a Weinstein thing also, where, you know, you're exploiting people who are trying to get into, uh, you know, into that business, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, acting, celebrity, modeling, you know, fashion, etc. Um, let's see here. Two Rivers, good afternoon, says September 20, 2018, Nygaard K was seized by the Supreme Court of the Bahamas. Uh, 123SKG says that she's heard her, he, she's heard his son's interview. So the full interview is probably out there. Victoria says, good evening, good afternoon, Victoria says, there is one hotel on Nevis, the Four Seasons, uh, and an ancient temple uh daddy bush uh was a frequent uh visitor there so you know i mean i i couldn't confirm a statement like that but i don't doubt it i'm pretty sure uh you know there they all these people and people who did such activities all swam in the same circles it would seem uh so very interesting there's also mentioned the chat rooms of the nexium sex cult uh, we don't want to forget that. So all of this stuff is just, you know, brooding around the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. Now, wouldn't it be something if they actually got Nygaard into 
uh, into trial, you know, and doing all of this stuff. And it was almost like a tandem thing with Ghislaine Maxwell. It's probably not going to happen as they keep pushing the dates back for Nygaard. Uh, but you know, um, it, that it would be, that would be something. Uh, here is a brief, uh, clip, uh, from the Oprah Winfrey show, uh, with Oprah Winfrey, Win, Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey actually at Peter Nygaard's estate in, um, the Caribbean. Uh, and then we're going to watch one more video about that island because uh peter nygaard had an island much like jeffrey epstein uh what they called pedo island it appears that uh you know peter nygaard also had a sex trafficking island uh that looked far more it was very obnoxious compared to jeffrey epstein's but uh let's take a look at this clip from uh the oprah winfrey show where she is actually on location at peter nygaard's uh, estate Imagine climbing over a cliff to get to your bed. The next home on our tour is one of the world's largest and most unusual. It's twice as big as computer billionaire Bill Gates' home. Well, now. And uh, Christy guarantees that we've never seen anything like it before. Take a look. From a boat, it looks fabulously exotic. And from the ground, it seems even more so. Filled with temples, fountains, even rare birds. One of the world's largest homes. This tropical fantasy took 10 years and over $30 million to build. This is the owner, Canadian mogul Peter Nygaard, whose mega successful company makes women's clothing sold everywhere from Saks to Sears. It's like a personal resort. It's big. It's about 150,000 square feet. In fact, Peter's home is so big that guests need electric cars to move around the compound's four acres. You're going to drive into your yeah, house? We're going to drive Peter designed the place himself, ensuring that each of the 20 bedrooms has magnificent views. Each room has a name and a personality. This one is called Cliffhanger, built so it literally dangles over the sea. Come on, this is truly Robinson Crusoe. This oh is. Oh my gosh. Oh watch my. how it rocks. This is the ultimate waterbed. Yeah. Peter says he built his home to go back to nature. And so he used native materials everywhere, from this shell sink to this wooden tub. Naturally, Peter entertains constantly here, making sure his guests enjoy every luxury from indoor-outdoor pools to full-size tennis courts. Visitors include Sean Connery, Michael Jackson, and his favorite, George Bush. Peter says his greatest pleasure now is improving his fantasy home. 150,000 square feet. That is a lot. Can I tell you, he loves spending money. And the next thing he's going to do is build a huge lagoon that you dive into, swim to a cave, and you'll find a disco in a wet bar. <laughs> is that cool or what? I just said to Christy, I am not living large enough, I reckon. <laughs> Thank you so much, Christy. Thanks for having Thank me. you so much. That's pretty crazy. So that was, uh, I think the video caption said, uh, probably filmed sometime between 94 and 97, uh, whenever that's happening. And then uh, much to the credit of Victoria in the uh, audience there, admitting that uh, Daddy Bush was one of his favorite visitors. Okay, guys, we're going to wrap up the C-Report with this final report on Nygaard, what women say happened at the fashion designer's compound. It's now a compound, not a personal resort, right? Uh, but let's see. Let's check this out, guys, and we'll wrap up the report for today. 
It's the explosive lawsuit that's prompted comparisons to Jeffrey Epstein and the island where he is alleged to have molested young girls. But this case involves a well-known fashion executive. Lisa Guerrero traveled to his Caribbean compound where a number of women claimed they were victims of what they call a sex trafficking ring. Peter Nygaard is one of the biggest names in fashion. The billionaire rides in a private jet with his name emblazoned on the fuselage. His flagship store is in Times Square. And he always seems to be surrounded by beautiful young women. Perhaps that explains why the 78-year-old billionaire uses anti-aging treatments to stay incredibly fit for a man his age. Nygaard owns homes all over the world, including this huge estate in the Bahamas, where he's entertained Britain's Prince Andrew. Yes, that's the same British royal linked to the Jeffrey Epstein scandal. Like Epstein, Nygaard has a luxurious compound in the sun-kissed Caribbean. This is the private estate in the Bahamas known as Nygaard Key. Yes, it's named after the fashion tycoon, and why not? He owned it. It has a beachfront mansion with an aquarium, a helipad, and a casino. But now there are allegations that Nygaard was using this exotic paradise as a sex trafficking ring. It is the most shocking things I've ever heard. Attorneys Greg Gutzler and Lisa Haba just filed a lawsuit against Nygaard on behalf of 10 women identified only as Jane Doe's. He would target the women that he felt was the most, were the most attractive to him, that met the body type he was looking for, and he used whatever, whatever was needed to make sure that those women ended up in his bed and he was able to hurt them. When you saw these latest allegations, were you surprised or not? No, not the least bit surprised. Victoria Sarney says she was Nygaard's personal assistant for a time in the early 90s. The girls would come down in the morning looking absolutely dreadful, and saying, you know, can you get us out of here? Can you get us out of here? Really? And we'd say, no, we can't because we didn't bring you in. So you've got to go ask him for your plane ride back. I'm now on the beach in front of Nygaard's private estate here in the Bahamas. And as you can see, as we're watching them, the caretakers are watching us. How long have you worked here? For a while. A while? Are you aware of the allegations that had taken place here with the parties? No, ma'am. The estate is filled with Mayan architecture with a dozen cabana-style residences. It looks kind of like a, an adult Disneyland. These attorneys say that since they filed the lawsuit, additional women have come forward with similar allegations. We are standing behind these survivors who have bravely come forward, put their names on the line, and said that his reign of terror will continue no more. Nygaard has not been criminally charged. He denies all allegations of wrongdoing. His spokesman calls the claims completely false and without foundation and says the lawsuit is part of a decade-long effort by one of his wealthy neighbors in the Bahamas to destroy his reputation through false statements. That is something the neighbor denies. Interesting. So this is all a plot to destroy his reputation, according to Peter Nygaard. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode of The Sea Report. Thank you all for hanging in there. And uh, yeah, Delaine Maxwell, guys, yes, her hearing, uh, her trial began today. Again, uh, where I last left off, uh, the judge had selected six jurors and dismissed one because uh, the juror had said, if I can remember correctly, that she had done research into the uh, Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein issue because um, her child had been sexually abused or something to that effect. 
But uh, don't worry, guys. Um, even though there's plenty of distractions out there against the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, this is the trial that we should be paying attention to to see which way it goes. We've already kind of uh, outlined the pros and the cons. Well, there's not a whole lot of pros here, guys. There are a lot of cons, you know, such as Comey's daughter being one of the lead prosecutors and uh, the judge, Nathan Allison. I mean, Allison Nathan having been appointed uh, by Obama, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, it was Obama. So uh, I, not a whole lot of pros here to go with for justice being served. But nevertheless, we will keep our ears and our eyes on it. We will let you guys know as more meat develops. Don't forget, in the Southern District of New York, they do not allow trials to be televised and they do not allow audio recordings. So it is not a conspiracy theory. It is just a fact of life that we will have to deal with. But as information becomes available, we will share it here. Ladies and gentlemen, you guys have a great evening. Enjoy your dinner and your supper time. Don't forget to check us out over at um, thecreport.com. Uh, we will have replays available there for you guys as well. Or if you're more of the auditory type, listen to us over at anchor.fm slash thecreport. You can subscribe to us for free on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. If you're joining us over at pill.net or at foxhole.app, thank you for being with us in the audience, friends. Thank you for your gold pill donations. Mr. Pete, thank you for gifting the shades as well. Uh, we've released the scratching over there. For those of you guys who got to get your scratch on, uh, you guys jump right into it and go for it. And, uh, oh yeah. And as far as the replays go over at the Foxhole and Pilled, uh, well, we've gotten a whole, well, we've uh, messaged management and uh, hopefully they'll get that worked out soon. Otherwise, like I said, uh, you can go to thecreport.com. We'll probably have the replay of today's episode and the previous episodes there as well. And then also at the podcast, anchor.fm slash the C-Report. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure hanging out with you guys this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed the show. We will see you guys next time for a live uh, a live uh, sharing of news here at the C-Report. Until then, be safe, be blessed. God bless America. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you next time. <laughs>